Hi everybody and welcome to church. Today we're going to be talking about John chapter 3. We have the John class coming up in a couple weeks and so we want to kind of lead into that a little bit with just a couple of sermons on John to kind of whet your appetite about what's going to be happening in that class that you guys can sign up for. So if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John is in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. So uh, if you need the table of context to find it, that's okay. Go ahead and use that. And let's go to John chapter 3 and we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that, uh, that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not, ever, uh, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are a God who is uh, loving and kind enough to send your son uh, for people who don't deserve your son. And Father, as we study this idea of what it means to be born again, I pray that you would just soften our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us today. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so the passage that we're looking at is a very familiar passage to most people. Most people understand or have read this, if especially if you're in the Christian world. Uh, specifically, it has John 3.16 in it, which even the world knows that verse um, and, and posts it on signage. Um, it, was <clears throat> it's, uh, it deals with some of the more meaningful theology or, or belief systems that we have as Christians in regards to what it actually means to be born again, what it actually means to have a saving faith in Christ, because this is the message that Christ was, was preaching. And so we want to look at this in kind of just a systematic way a little bit and understand what was going on. We want to paint the picture. We want to give you the background on what's happening here. Um, I often will refer to Nicodemus as Nick, so if I say that, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything. Just know that that's kind of a shortened version of that. Um, but you guys may have heard this taught before. That's okay as well. Uh, and there are definitely some different perspectives on what was going on, and we're going to try and hit as many of those as we can. 
The first observation that we should look at is the man that Jesus is talking to, this Nicodemus. Um, we, should t- we should look at who it is because it actually matters who it is. It's not just some guy. This is very actually a, a very important guy. So the first thing that we find out about him is that he is a Pharisee. So a Pharisee was a religious political party uh, of the Jews in Jesus's days. Uh, it in, they insisted that the law of God be observed and they were especially committed to things like tithing and uh, ritualistic purity. So thing, things like uh, the priesthood, the priests that worked at the temple, they would have to, you know, wash their hands anytime that they did certain things and, and clean themselves. And, and so Pharisees would follow the same kind of ritualistic cleansing. They would definitely stay away from people like lepers. They would stay away from the sick. They would stay away from... Uh, you know, anybody that was going through any kind of the Levitical law as far as needing to go through a purification period before they are welcomed back in, they would be very, very committed to that ritualistic purity. And so specifically tithing and purity were the, the things that they followed closely, but they believed that, that every, every law of God should be followed. Um, we see <clears throat> in, in John 7, uh, verse 50, that uh, Nicodemus was actually a part of the Sanhedrin as well. And the Sanhedrin had uh, limited political power in Israel. So basically what the, the Romans would do is they would let different groups of people have certain amount of political sway um, so that they could help control the population. Uh, so they would... They would elect their own uh, governors and kings and things like that to actually rule the people. And uh, Israel had that as well, and it was called the Sanhedrin. And so Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin. Now this is, this is the, think of the highest court in the land for the Jews. So the, the Sanhedrin actually dealt with things like, uh, well, I mean, if we, if we fast forward, we see Jesus getting put on trial uh, for crimes he did not commit. And he goes before the Sanhedrin and he actually talks to these guys. Um, another thing that we can, uh, deduce about Nicodemus comes from John chapter 19, uh, where Nicodemus is actually helping to prepare Jesus's body after it's been, after he's been crucified. And he brings expensive oils and perfume and incense and things like that to, uh, to prepare Jesus's body. And so we know that he is rich. We know that he is a wealthy man. And so uh, it looks like from this conversation that Nicodemus got saved. There are people, um, there's some records of him being baptized. There are some records of what he did after Jesus ascended into heaven, things like that. Uh, It's common to hear, and you guys, if you've heard this, you may have heard this before, and, and I've taught this before as well. It's very common to hear that Nicodemus came to Jesus during the night so that he would avoid being seen by the people, um, so that it was more of a uh, a hush-hush back alley kind of meeting. I I actually found something in my studies this week that actually has kind of opened my eyes a little bit to maybe a different perspective, maybe not completely separate, but different, where if, if or since Jesus was a teacher, he was a rabbi, and since Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and a member of the Sanhedrin, we have to look at chapter two and understand that uh, this is the Passover. If you look at chapter two, uh, verse 23, it even says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. 
Um, and, and it's just interesting because this would have been a very busy time for both Jesus and Nicodemus. And these guys would have been extremely busy dealing with people, dealing with all of the feasts, dealing with all of the ritual, the sacrifice, whatever was going on, they were dealing with it. They were helping with it. They were doing that kind of stuff. And so they were actually very busy during this time. And so it's certainly possible that during the heat of the day, when throngs of people are all around these two leaders, these two teachers, it would be very difficult for them to actually have a conversation. Uh, and if you know anything about guys who love the Bible, we love to talk to each other and, and see what each other's thoughts are on certain things. And so it's very possible that Nicodemus actually came to Jesus at night because it was the cool of the day. So the temperature had gone down. It wasn't the middle of the heat. And also, the crowds may have dissipated a little bit at this time, and it actually allowed them to have a discussion without, you know, hundreds or possibly thousands of people, you know, crowding them. And so it is possible, again, even in that, that, that Nicodemus wanted it to be more of a secret meeting and more of a, more of a quiet meeting that, you know, people didn't necessarily see him. But it absolutely is possible as well that they did this meeting during the nighttime so that they didn't do it out in the heat of the day with a million people around. And so just a little, just a little thought that, you know, sometimes we look at the Bible and have, have what we've been taught and sometimes that can change. But just understand Jesus comes to, or sorry, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to him in verse two, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And now here, Nicodemus is not questioning Jesus's ability to perform miracles and to teach. He understands. He even calls Jesus rabbi, which is an interesting statement given the Jewish hierarchy. Assumption is that Nicodemus would have been older than Jesus. And so for him to call Jesus rabbi is not bad or not uh, breaking the rules, but it's definitely he had a lot of respect for Jesus. He had a lot of respect for what Jesus was doing. And he's not, he's not coming at Jesus with an accusatory tone. He's not saying, well, what the heck are you doing here? He's, he's actually saying, no, we know that you are sent from God because you can't do this. The things that you are doing, we know that you can't do these things without God being with you. And it's interesting because this is kind of a, this is a very, common thread with leaders in the church where they will they will enter into a conversation by I want to be gentle in my words here but they'll, they'll kind of puff each other up a little bit you know stroke stroke the other one's ego understand that we're coming from different perspectives but as long as we understand that we respect each other then we can have a really good conversation and I like Jesus's response here because as usual he cuts through all of the all of the facade, and just gets to the heart of the situation. He understands what Nicodemus was going, to under, was going to talk about because he is God. He understands what the conversation was leading into, and he just says to Nicodemus out the gate in verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's obvious that the kingdom of God was on Nicodemus's heart, and it probably was on Jesus's heart because that was his whole purpose here, was to, was to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's just interesting that Jesus actually just draws attention straight to that point. Let's cut to the chase here, Nicodemus. Let's talk about what you want to talk about. 
nobody can enter into the kingdom of uh, God or he cannot see the kingdom of God unless he's been born again. So the, the inference is that Nicodemus was going to be talking about or going to ask Jesus about, okay, how does one enter into the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of God? All of the Jews really believed that because they were descendants of Abraham, that they had an inheritance, a, a right to the kingdom of God, that they were automatically kind of in because they were descendants of Abraham. They were his children. They were the promised children. They were the promised land. They were the, you know, the, the people that God would take care of and that God had promised to take care of no matter what and did. And so they had this idea that, no, we, we'll see the kingdom of God no matter what. And, and Jesus is saying, unless you're born again, you won't. And so this is definitely a new idea. This statement of being born again would have been and already, well, as we read, it was very strange to Nicodemus. Um, he he can't quite wrap his head around it, especially because he probably went from zero to 60. Jesus did here. And Nicodemus is probably taking a couple minutes to catch up here. But at the same time, in verse four, he says, how can a man be born again or born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And it goes to show you what the, the tendency of human beings is to immediately think of the physical immediate response to a situation. And, and Nicodemus was no different in this. Jesus says you have to be born again, and his mind immediately goes to a physical birth from a physical woman of how does a, how does a grown man be born again? And, and that is, I mean, even just thinking about it now, is it's comical when we think about it a little bit. It's weird. It's strange. It's, it's kind of like, well, what, what does that even mean to be born again? And that's essentially what Nicodemus is saying here. He just has a more eloquent way of saying it than we do. And so he asked Jesus, <laughs> how though, and not why? And that's an interesting tell on what, where Nicodemus's heart was with the respect to Jesus and what Jesus was actually doing on earth. He says, how can a man do this? Not why must he be born again? And so I think that Nicodemus here really had an understanding that he, he was a sinner and that he needed God's help. He needed God's salvation. He needed assistance. He, he wasn't able to do this on his own because he's saying, how can I do this? How can I be saved? How can a man be born again? Not, well, why? That, that doesn't seem like something we would need to do, right? Because if he had the assumption that, well, I'm just going to be in the kingdom of heaven, he wouldn't have that. He, he would say, well, why does a man need to be born again? That doesn't make sense because we're already going to inherit the kingdom. But instead, he asks Jesus how. And again, that goes to how much he respects Jesus here because he's asking Jesus to give him wisdom. He's asking Jesus to impart wisdom on him. And again, that's a big deal here. And so understand, I think that Nicodemus was already wrestling with a lot of these things before he came and talked to Jesus. And again, if you read through the book of John, you see Nicodemus a few times through the book of John, and you'll see that he has this progression of talking to Jesus and following Jesus. And it's encouraging to see. And so verse 5 <clears throat> takes us to Jesus' point, the main point. And again, we see him addressing the heart of the issue 
and not getting distracted with what could be, you know, a, a scientific conversation. Jesus says in verse 5, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there is a debate on what Jesus is actually saying here. There's, to this day, you know, people disagree. You can do a study on this and come across four or five different interpretations of this verse within the first couple minutes of doing a study. Um, and so just to give you guys a couple of thoughts on, on, or a couple of positions of what people think this is, and then I'll give you my opinion or my viewpoint on this. There are those who believe that Jesus is saying that a person must be baptized to be saved. So unless he's born of water and the Spirit, he, can't, uh, he cannot enter. And so they would say that unless you're baptized and baptized with the Spirit, like baptized physically with water and baptized spiritually with the Spirit, then you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There are people that believe that. <clears throat> um, and, and there are those who believe he is uh, referencing a physical birth. Uh, so um, we'll talk about that in a minute, but he's referencing, you know, the water from the womb. And then there is also a belief that if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, there is a belief that in between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis 1, uh, verse 2, we, that's when Satan was cast out of heaven. That's when Satan was thrown out of heaven. And so you had the earth that was formed, and now Satan gets thrown out of heaven, and now you have the water and the spirit moving over the water. And so it's, it's not, it is a recreation, if you will. The spirit is coming down and moving on the water and recreating uh, or re-sanctifying. Uh, I don't know if that's the right words, but redoing what was done on in verse one. Um, it's a it's a deep thought. It's a deep thought, and I, I think that there's value in maybe some of the application of it. We cannot be dogmatic in this though. And and personally I don't hold to this. I don't I, I think it's an interesting theory, but it does give another thought to what Jesus was saying here. I believe that Occam's razor is what we need to use in this, and, and Occam's razor essentially says that whatever is the most simple solution to a problem is most likely the correct solution. So the more complex we get in our answer to a, to a question, the less likely it becomes true. And so I think personally, my belief is that Jesus here is referencing a physical birth, that in, when he says, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus is quite plainly and, and practically saying that unless you're born physically and then born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that kind of just goes to reason because if you're not born physically, then you, you, you don't exist. <laughs> and so there's no way you can enter into or see the kingdom of God unless you have been born physically. And so <clears throat> I think that that's the, the more simple answer. I also think that it just makes the most sense in the context of what we're talking about here. There are people that disagree with me, and I just want to be clear with that. And there are, this is definitely a heated topic and, and one that we don't have time to get into right now. But I believe that Jesus was a very practical person, even when he was talking to you know, some of the Pharisees and things like that, and in parables and things like that. He could be very artistic in his language, but 
I think in this case, he was just talking straight to the point and straight to Nicodemus. And I think that we see that even in what he says in verses, <coughs> excuse me, six and seven, which he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And this is an interesting statement because this, this statement references back to Ezekiel chapter 37 with the dry bones coming to life and, and the, the ruach, the spirit, or in Hebrew, it can mean spirit or wind. And ruach is the word for spirit or wind, and it's that Ruach coming down on the dry bones and causing them to come to life. And so when Jesus references the wind here blowing where it wishes, it's that idea of the Spirit comes down and makes dry bones come to life. It changes us. And so to be born again means that you have been changed. You are different. You are, you are a new creation. It does not mean that you are the same. It does not mean that you continue living the same life, all of those kinds of things. It also, it also in, implies that you have been made new, not just changed, but you have been made into a new thing and a new creation. Now, this is why in verse 9, when Jesus uh, or sorry, when Nicodemus answers and says, how can these things be? This is why when we see verse 10 and going on, why Jesus is so mm, surprised at Nicodemus, because A, the Jewish leaders specifically would have been very familiar with Ezekiel chapter 37. It was one of their mantras. It was one of their, their go-to passages, if you will. And, and so Jesus is like, how can you be a teacher of Israel, a leader of Israel, and not know these things. And not only that, the original language here, the Hebrew suggests that Nicodemus was not a teacher of the Israelites, but Jesus is actually saying, how can you be the teacher of Israel? Which, which implies that he is actually the leader of the Sanhedrin. He's the leader of the Pharisees, that he is in a high up guy, not just, you know, some dude teaching the Bible or the Old Testament, if you will. And so this is why Jesus gets so dismayed is because he's saying if, if the shepherds of the flock don't even know what I'm saying here, where is the hope for the flock? And I think that that's a very practical thing for us to look at even in today's world where we have pastors and teachers and people in general who are what we like to call keyboard warriors or, or Facebook fighters or whatever we want to call them where where we have these, these people that are sharing their, their opinions and their thoughts and things, and, and they haven't done the training, and even if they have done the training, they don't quite fully understand. And so it's, I think it's dismaying to God to see that. I think it grieves him to see pastors and teachers and, and people in the church who don't know his word. You see, we are to study his word individually. I, I get that I'm to study the word because I'm a pastor for sure. That's, the, that's not what I'm saying here. But you at home should be studying the word as well, because if I'm saying nonsense, well, you need to know. I don't want to lead you guys down the wrong path, and I don't think you guys would want to be led down the wrong path. And so it is our responsibility to take the word home and open it up. One of the beautiful things that happened with, <coughs> excuse me, 
uh, things like in the 1500s, the Reformation, when, when the Bible was first being produced in the English language, and, and the German language for that matter, it was becoming available to common everyday people. And so we actually now have, I mean, most houses in North America, at least if, if they're Christian proclaiming houses, they have at least one Bible in the house. We have access to the Word of God and we are to be studying the Word of God on our own so that we get cl closer to God and so that we can actually help lead. And so Nicodemus was in this situation where he had definitely studied this. He had definitely looked at it, but he was missing the point. And the point was that we are to become a new creation. We are to be born again. We are to be different from who we used to be. And it is a work of the Spirit that does that. Now, because we are a human being and we've been born, we have the opportunity to do that. But we, we, have, to, we have to allow the Spirit to move in us. We have, to, we have to be willing to allow Him to move in us. We have to, we have to experience that new life that He gives us. And when we do that, there's a responsibility, and that responsibility is growing deeper with him. I want to read through verses 10 through 17 again. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? There's that, that dismayal. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's saying here, if you, if, if you don't even understand that you can be born and you must be born first physically, then how, how are you going to understand anything from heaven? How are we going to understand what is going on in, in, in the spiritual realm if we are not studying the word, if we're not experiencing God, if we're not, if we're not studying and trying to be closer to God? then how could we understand what's happening above us or around us? <laughs> and I think that that's the dismayal that Jesus has here is that it's a pastor, essentially, a teacher of the, the Jews, a, a person who is to be leading them. And he's, he's just not quite getting the idea that, that you have to be made new through the Spirit to actually progress into the kingdom of God. And he says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. That's an interesting statement right there, because you see Jesus here who is saying to him, essentially, I am God <laughs> because I have been in heaven and I have been sent from heaven and I understand the things of heaven because of all of those things that I just said before. And so you have this idea that Jesus is, he's saying to Nicodemus in this moment, Again, I am the son of man who has come down from heaven. This would have been normally if this was, if this was in a big group of Pharisees, this is where they would have picked up rocks. This is where they would have said, let's kill this guy right now because he's blaspheming because he's claiming to be God. Now, in this personal private conversation, or at least we assume it's private, just because it was Jesus and Nicodemus doesn't mean that it was just Nic Jesus and Nicodemus alone. Um, but, but it was a fairly private conversation. It doesn't look like anybody was trying to kill Jesus for saying this. And Nicodemus certainly was willing to accept what Jesus was saying. 
Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, regarding the crucifixion, uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the that the world through him might be saved. What Jesus references here is the children in the wilderness who had been bitten by snakes. And the solution in the wilderness for for God was to have Moses build a, a serpent that he put on a pole, a brass serpent that he put on a pole, and he lifted up that brass serpent. And anybody who looked at the brass serpent uh, would be healed of their snake bite. Um, there's definitely some faith that takes place in that to have a guy that says i i know how to cure you <laughs> look at this brass snake but if you understand the meaning of brass in the scripture you know the meaning of judgment the meaning of all of this kind of stuff you understand a little bit more what god is asking them to do to look on the the serpent to look on the brass the judgment of god and i think that there's a beautiful picture that we see between the brass serpent and jesus on the cross which is essentially the same. We look to Jesus on the cross. We looked to him and we look to him and we are saved. The reason why we're saved is because we're looking at the judgment of God that was meant for us that he is taking on himself. And I think that we see that in Jesus Christ. And he says here that, that he whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, we are on the path of destruction from birth. You are born into sin, is what the Bible says. There, there is no getting around it. And so we are born into this, and we are on that path of destruction. And all God is saying that we have to do is look to His Son and believe on His Son and follow His Son, and we will be saved. We, we treat this like it is narrow, you're right. It's narrow. It's not easy. It's not, it's not all-inclusive. It says, the Bible says multiple times that, that narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Wide is the path that leads to judgment. And there are many who find it. And there's this idea that we have as Christians in modern, modern North America that, that we are going to be somehow exempt from that because when we were younger, we prayed a prayer. We don't actually live a life according to Christ. We don't actually live a life according to what God says to do. We live our lives however we want to, and, and then, you know, hopefully everything works out in the end. And I think that when we look at this, we're seeing this idea that we, we are to look to Jesus and be saved. But when we look to Jesus and are saved, then we are born again, and when we are born again, we are a new creation, and we are a new creation, we live a different life than we have in the past. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We, we die to ourselves. We, we crucify the old man, and we come alive to the new man, and we follow Christ. And so, even in this most quoted verse, probably, of the Bible, in John 3.16, we see the, the cost of our sin. And the cost of our sin is death. 
there is punishment. There is, we have a, we have a saying in, in, in our house to, to work with our girls and it's our, it's our rule mantra, which is there are rules that we follow. When we break those rules, we get punished. And, and that is the same idea here. There's no difference in, in the Bible. There are rules that we follow. When we break those rules, we get punished. Now, whether or not you come under the grace of God and all that kind of stuff, we can, that's a, for a different sermon right now because we're definitely going long. But I just want to draw attention to the fact that God's punishment had to be dealt out. And it will be dealt out to those who deny his son. You see, he sent his sons to die on the cross so that whoever would believe on him would be saved and will not perish. That is the message that we're seeing here. But if you choose not to believe on him, if you choose not to accept that, if you choose to tread on the blood of Jesus Christ is the way Hebrews puts it, then you're, you're coming under a new judgment. You're coming under a different judgment that's going to be an eternal punishment. And that eternal punishment is because God cannot have association with sinners. He cannot have association with sin. And so when we talk about repent and believe and all those kinds of things, repenting is that idea that I am going to stop sinning and I am going to turn towards Jesus and run towards him. And running towards Jesus is not just an emotion that we feel on a, on a spiritual high. It is a faithful, lifelong discipleship underneath his word. And that's how we run towards the Lord. And so we do things like discipleship groups here. We do things like home groups here. We do all of those things so that you guys can have that opportunity to turn and run towards Jesus. And so I'd encourage you today, if you haven't been made into a new creation, there is nothing stopping you except for pride. If you have been made into a new creation, then let me encourage you, run that race faithfully. Find a person that wants to do small groups with you. Find a person that wants to disciple you. Find a person that you can disciple yourself and start pouring into them and teaching them so that we do not be leaders of God's people and don't understand some of the more simple things. We want to understand the heavenly things. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the time that we've had here today. I pray that you would just bless us. We thank you that you have given your son. We thank you that you have died on the cross. We thank you that you rose again and conquered the grave. And Father, we want to follow Jesus. We want to passionately pursue him. And God, I pray that you would change us into new creations, that we would experience your change, the change that only you can bring. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in your name. Amen.